a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome back to Inside Sources. I'm your host, Greg Scordis, filling in today for Boyd Matheson. I, uh, Probably a lot of you know I'm an attorney, trial attorney, uh, was a prosecutor for eight years at the Salt Lake District Attorney's Office and have a, a private practice now. And so I'm always interested in other trials and sort of how we view those and what the public thinks of those. And we've had a very interesting year in 2021 with some trials, some very high-profile trials. I want to break those down. Uh, For the first segment here, I want to talk about two trials that involved police officers as defendants. We don't see that very often. And in fact, um, I remember a day when prosecutors would just say there's no way you can charge a police officer because they're doing their job and for us to second guess every move they make and everything they do uh, after a a trial and a jury and hearing everything and trying to re-examine what an officer decides to do in a split second is just not fair and jurors understandably have historically been very reluctant to convict police officers who commit something that turns out to be allegedly criminal in connection with their employment. I mean, it's one thing if an officer is is driving drunk, but it's another in the two cases we're about to talk about when the officer uses force in connection with their duties as a police officer, deadly force in both instances uh, that caused the death of an individual in both instances and whether or not that's truly justified. I talked to police officers, some of whom say, hey, if I'd have known we were all going to be under the under the microscope the way we are today, I wouldn't have gone into this. But there's a, probably a bigger group of peace officers who say, hey, body cams, dash cams, let it out. Let's let's have the public see what we're doing, see why we're doing it, and make decisions on whether or not that was appropriate police conduct. It seems like it was years ago, but one of the first trials we had this year was, in fact, the trial of Derek Chauvin, who was the officer who killed George Floyd. And if you recall, that was... Um, you all know the case as well as I do, but back in May of 2020, uh, he kneeled on Floyd's neck for a period of nine minutes and 29 seconds. Now, that 9.29 and that kneeling on the neck of George Floyd was played over and over and over at that trial. We've all seen it, and we've all had the opportunity to perhaps even count out that nine minutes and 29 seconds. So it's not, as I said earlier, where we're looking at an officer's conduct in a split second and trying to re 
trying to to rethink that and say, well, was that conduct correct? I mean, this officer, Derek Chauvin, had nine and a half minutes uh, to to change his course of conduct, which ultimately caused the death of George Floyd. Um, and in fact, that was the, the I can't breathe case where pe- people were just standing around watching this. And in today's society, videotaping it, uh, numerous people videotaped it and said, Hey, you know, you're killing this guy. Uh, Stop. And um, he was charged originally with third degree murder. Uh, The state of of, uh, Minnesota bumped that up to manslaughter, bumped it up again to second degree murder, which is really a stretch, which a lot of us thought was a huge stretch, because then you're saying uh, to the to the to the officer, well, your conduct wasn't just careless. It wasn't just reckless, which is the standard for manslaughter, but it was really outrageous. It showed a depraved indifference, if you will, to human life. Um, Three other officers who were just there and didn't intervene are charged with aiding and abetting, and we haven't seen the result of their case yet. But that trial, the, the Derek Chauvin trial, went uh, forward this year. It started in March. Uh, 15 jurors were selected, and the jury came back on April 20th guilty of all charges, guilty of everything. I mean, this was something that surprised the law enforcement community. I think it surprised uh, defense and, and prosecutors around the country because of the fact that it was just such an overwhelming uh, guilty verdict. And uh we had we had a, a fair number of jurors. We had a fair trial. I mean, it appears I'm sure there's going to be appeals. But uh, wow, I mean, an officer uh, convicted of a homicide of murder uh, in connection with a, an arrest or an attempt to make an arrest of an individual, and uh, just his complete, uh, really just. Uh, disregard for the man's health. And of course, the defense was claiming uh, that George Floyd had other issues, substance abuse issues, health issues, um, issues with his, I think, his heart, lungs uh, that could have contributed to this. But no, the jury said this is a murder. This was something where um, Derek Chauvin knew or should have known that the result of his conduct could have caused the death of an individual. And he was sentenced uh, in June of this year uh, to 22 and a half years in prison uh, in 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 Minnesota. And that state requires that individual who gets a prison sentence serve at least uh, two-thirds of that sentence. So 22 and a half times two-thirds, that means he's probably going to do at least 15 years in prison. That's a long time. I mean, in Utah, uh, manslaughter only carries, well, only, I guess, is a relative term, but it carries one to 15 years in prison. So uh, a murder conviction certainly carries uh, five to life, uh, but it's 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 a harsh, well, not necessarily harsh under the circumstances, but it's a significant sentence. It's a, it's a, it's a sentence that has a lot of teeth to it, 15 years. Um, another one involved Kim Potter, who um, coincidentally is also a Minnesota police officer. She uh, is arresting a young man named Dante Wright. Dante Wright, and both of these cases involving police officers also involve um, defendants who were in the process of being arrested, who were uh, not being arrested for necessarily serious uh, violent charges, and who both were African-American, and the officers involved were both white. She 
is trying to arrest this man. And he, of course, ob- objects. He resists, just as George Floyd did. And a lot of people said, well, look, if you just pay attention, you don't, you don't object, you don't fight, you don't resist arrest, you don't have this problem. Well, they did. And so what is a police officer to do? Well, she decided that she needed to restrain him. She de- decided she needed to detain him, and she pulled out what she thought was her taser. And she said, I'm deploying my taser. She even says, taser, 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 as she's about to pull the trigger. In other words, telling all the other officers, get your hands off because I'm about to zap this guy. And if you're too close, you're going to get zapped as well. Uh, and and so she pulls the trigger and it's not her taser. It's her Glock 9 millimeter. And it causes it causes his death. And, of course, she immediately just recoils. And if you watch her and if you watch her, her testimony, you see how absolutely upset she was about what happened. Um, let me just let me just play a little brief snippet of her testimony you'd agree that as a police officer you have the duty to render aid and communicate information to other officers right yes and it's part of your job to assist those who are hurt or injured true yes and to communicate to other officers what you know about a particular scene right Yes. Give them whatever information you can to help them do their jobs, to help render assistance, things like that, right? Yes. But you didn't do any of those things on April 11th, did you? No. You stopped doing your job completely. You didn't communicate what happened over the radio, right? No. You didn't make sure any officers knew what you had just done, right? No. You didn't run down the street and try to save Dante Wright's life, did you? No. You didn't check on the other car that had been hit, did you? No. That all happened just down the road from you. Yes. You were focused on what you had done, because you had just killed somebody. I'm sorry it happened. Jury comes back guilty of first degree manslaughter for which she should she could be punished for up to seven years in prison, guilty of second degree manslaughter for which she could serve up to four years in prison. We don't know what the result of that's going to be. Uh, before I close, I just want to play a little snippet here from President Biden, a statement that he made uh, right after the uh, Derek Chauvin trial and um, talking about the fact that police officers had to testify. And uh, that's something that doesn't happen very often. As we saw in this trial from the fellow police officers who testified, most men and women who wear the badge serve their communities honorably. But those few who fail to meet that standard must be held accountable. And they were today. One was. No one should be above the law. And today's verdict sends that message. But it's not enough. And we're going to see how that's shaking out. We've seen legislators, we've seen uh, even here in Utah, our legislature looking at revamping uh, laws as it relates to the police officer's use of force and how we're going to handle that looking back on on police officers. It's really a it's a tough issue that I've been involved in both sides of, both investigation and representing police officers. And... Um, I love them. I love what they do. And, and I also think it's important that they're being held accountable now. I want to talk about two others that involved self-defense as a defense. 
you remember the uh, Amand Arbery case, and with some some of these trials, we we define by the name of the victim, and some of them we define by the name of the perpetrator, the suspect, the defendants. Um, at any rate, it Amand Arbery is jogging in a Georgia neighborhood, uh, February of 2020, not committing a crime, not armed, and three individuals, Gregory and Travis McMichael, father and son, uh, confront him. Their friend, uh, William Bryant, comes along for the ride, I guess, although I think he's in his own car, and they videotape it. Um, During the course of that, they confront him. Uh, the, The younger McMichael pulls out a shotgun, and he and Arbery wrestle with the shotgun. Ultimately, Arbery is shot, and he is killed. Um, it takes several months. It takes over two months for the authorities in Georgia to make any arrests in this case, to even make any charges. But they ultimately charged all three of these men with with uh, Arbery's homicide. They alleged in their defense two things. They alleged both self-defense and that they were affecting a citizen's arrest. Let me just break those down real quickly. Self-defense and Georgia laws pretty close to Utah law, it allows that you can defend yourself against another person's use of force, but you can only use deadly force, that is, force likely to cause death or serious bodily injury, to the extent that the other person is using deadly force. And the reason that defense didn't work, at least in my opinion, is that they used deadly force, they used the shotgun, Arbery wasn't armed. Um, And the fact that he grabbed for the gun, I guess, was what their argument was. Well, once he grabbed for the gun, he became uh, an aggressor, and he became somebody who was likely to use deadly force, and so they had no choice. Uh, The other defense that they used was citizen's arrest, and we have a similar statute in Utah, although people rarely, if ever, affect a citizen's arrest. In this case, they said, well, we we were trying to arrest him. Well, the problem with that defense was he hadn't committed a crime. I mean, nobody could articulate that he had committed any crime at all. The trial goes forward. All three defendants are convicted of that crime. And we heard from Amon Arbery's father, Marcus Arbery, immediately afterwards, talking about the effect of this crime and what it could and should mean to, to, uh, to us all going forward. This history today. Letting you know that black kid life don't matter. For real, all life matters. Not just black children. We don't want to see nobody go through this. Amen. I don't want to see no daddy watch a kid get lynched and shot down like that. That's right, Ma. So it's all our problem. It's all our problem. So, hey, let's keep fighting. Let's keep fighting. Let's keep doing it and making this place a better place for all human beings. Amen. All human beings. Amen. Everybody. Amen. Love everybody. Love everybody. All human beings need to be treated equally. Very emotional. Uh, Marcus Arbery, uh, father to Amon Arbery, talking about not only the death of his son, but the fact that a jury convicted three men of that murder. Then then we've got Kyle Rittenhouse, a different case with a different verdict, who also, uh, he also alleged the defense of self-defense. If you recall, Kyle, Kyle Rittenhouse is... Um, goes to Kenosha, Wisconsin. Uh, there was a rally going on at the time uh, over a police shooting of a black man named Jacob Blake, uh, who officers were responding on a domestic violence call. Uh, one thing led to another, and he was ultimately shot and killed. No charges were brought as a result of that, but it did cause, as you would expect, a great deal of consternation in the community. We've seen that here in the, in Salt Lake County when the, the Sim Gill's office was was painted and and really damaged over his 
decision not to charge an officer over a, a, a the death of an individual. And of course, we saw that the body cams, I think, really largely supported the DA's decision. But in this case, the DA decided to charge Kyle Rittenhouse with um, two homicides and one aggravated assault, three very serious charges. He's a 17-year-old kid. He's going there to allegedly protect uh, another person's personal property. He's guarding a, a used car lot because there has been discussion that that the that there's going to be a great amount of vandalism during this event. So he grabs his AR-15 and sort of stands guard at this used car lot. Um, people are like, well, that doesn't seem right. And, of course, you can't defend your car with a deadly weapon. Uh, but he, I think, felt that just the show of force uh, was going to be enough to keep people from from causing a lot of carnage at this used car lot. As he's leaving, as he's walking away, he's confronted by several people. And in connection with that, he shoots them. Uh, One person uh, grabbed for his gun. He shot and killed. Uh, One person uh, swings at him with a skateboard, uh, tries to hit him. He shot and killed. And another person had his own gun, sort of flashed it in the air, maybe fired a shot in the air. I don't recall exactly what happened. He gets shot, uh, but he doesn't die. Um, that case was a very controversial case. That was a, just an incredibly controversial case because people are saying, well, you know, did he invite this problem or was he more just along for the ride? Uh, he testified in his own defense at trial, and here's what he said. A lot of people are like, oh, Kyle had time to meet with his attorneys to come up with this amazing defense of self-defense. No, that's not the case. This has been 100% self-defense from the beginning. And I didn't know there was 100 cameras. I knew I was, but I didn't know I was attacked and I defended myself. Um, His lawyer also chimed in on the concept of self-defense in his closing argument. But Kyle Rittenhouse's behavior was protected under the law of the state of Wisconsin, the law of self-defense. Kyle Rittenhouse shot Mr. Rosenbaum because he was attacking Kyle. Every person who was shot was attacking Kyle. One with a skateboard, one with his hands, one with his feet, one with a gun. And in that case, as we all know, self-defense prevailed, and Kyle Rittenhouse was acquitted of every single count. Um, we re- all recall January 6th of this year, and it seems like a long time ago, but it was January 6th of this year, when we had the insurrection, the Capitol riot. And as of today, uh, December 27th, 2021, just uh, 11 months, 11 and a half months later, 727 people have been charged in this insurrection so far. And that's probably not the end of it. I'm guessing that it's probably going to get very close to 1,000 people by the time the Justice Department is done. However, out of that 727, only 50 have been adjudicated. Their cases are resolved. And of the 50-plus defendants who have been sentenced so far in their role uh, in the attack on the Capitol, fewer than half have been sent to jail for their crimes. Most uh, received uh, lesser penalties, including um what we call house arrest, in other words, stay home, a couple years of probation, um, some four-figure fines, court-ordered community service, and whatnot. Um, Some have received a a, a more beefy sentence, and some have actually gone to prison. 
uh, you can bet that a lot of the people who have not been adjudicated yet out of the 727 are probably some of the more culpable, the more seriously involved, some of the people who probably are going to serve a more significant prison sentence. But a lot of these people, if you watch the insurrection, it was the guy next door. It was your next door neighbor. These were people who probably thought at the time uh, that this wasn't necessarily a bad idea, maybe making a statement, but it got completely out of hand. And um, to the point where uh, people people died during that event. Um, the Capitol was stormed. Uh, there was a tremendous amount of damage done. Um, an officer was shot. A woman was killed. Um, and there had to be some sanction for this. And these people that were there sort of thinking, well, they were, were just acting at the behest of the president at the time, Donald Trump, are saying, well, you know, we, we were doing what we thought we needed to do. Here's one of the uh, Here's one of the people involved in the insurrection. This is that really goofy guy with the spear and the horns. Uh, he was interviewed not long afterwards. Um, and this is what he said about his commander in chief. And I honestly believed uh, and still believe that he cares about uh, the Constitution, that he cares about the American people. And that's also why it you know, wounded me so deeply and why it disappointed me so greatly that I and others did not get a pardon. Do you regret that fierce loyalty? I regret entering that building. I regret entering that building with every fiber of my being. But you don't regret the loyalty to Donald Trump? No. Well, he's probably regretting a few things now because he was sentenced recently to 41 months in prison and followed by 36 months of supervised release, which in the state system we call probation or parole. Um, and in, in the federal system, if you get a 41-month sentence, you will typically serve about 85% of that. So in his case, that's probably going to be somewhere in the 34, 35 months uh, before he's released to probation, to supervised release. Uh, and in the federal system, we don't have um, what we call expungements or reductions to misdemeanor. If you're convicted of a federal felony, you're always convicted of a federal felony, and the only way you can get that off is if you get what's called a presidential pardon. He's upset that he didn't get pardoned by the president because he's acting as though he was he was sort of operating under the direction of the president. And I think that's going to be the defense of a lot of these individuals who saw the president sort of inciting or whatever you want to call it, clearly spurring some people on, clearly expressing his own outrage over what he felt was a was a, a biased election um, and uh, take back, take back the election and don't stand up for that was his message. And people followed that. They were worked into a complete frenzy and they did something that I think the rest of the world is looking at us going, what is wrong with America? I mean, that 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 we would have a thousand or more individuals storming the United States Capitol breaking into the United States Capitol, causing death, causing injury. Um, and who knows what would have happened had uh, Nancy Pelosi been in her office, had uh, Vice President Pence been uh, uh, available at the time. I mean, apparently they had a gallows outside just with, with his name on it. I mean, and this was, a, this was a very problematic day in our country's history and one that we're now looking back on in completely different lenses. Um, some from the right are saying, look, let's move on. We don't need to hammer this anymore. And some from the left are saying this is something that's serious and needs to be looked at closely and people need to suffer the consequences. Um, 
that's really going to be something that we're going to watch very closely. Uh, another trial that I just want to talk about briefly in the remaining uh, two minutes is Ghislaine Maxwell. She was the uh, girlfriend and confidant of sex offender Jeffrey Epstein, and she's now on trial uh, in federal court on sex trafficking of a minor, enticing a minor to engage in sexual acts, transporting a minor with the intent to engage in, in sexual activity and related counts. If she's convicted, she could face up to 70 years in prison. We don't have a verdict in that case, and even just watching some of the some of the bylines on the camera or the TVs that are in front of me, uh, the jury's still deliberating, and they have been for a while, and the jury in that case has been asking questions, question after question after question. Uh, we need to review this person's testimony. We, we need to review this area of law and explain what is meant by aiding and abetting. Uh, Describe again what this witness said. So, I mean, certainly Jeffrey Epstein was, by almost all accounts, just a monster. But does that mean that the people who worked with him, who supported him, who maybe cared about him and loved him, are part of that same uh, conspiracy and part of that same cloak of evil, I guess, if you will? So um, it'll be interesting to see what happens in that case. It's certainly been a long time before the uh, before the jury uh, gets to anywhere and making a decision. Uh, this just very briefly, one of the one of the witnesses in that trial testified like this. I saw Gillian going to get the women. Um, she went to places like Central Park. I was with her a couple times in the car. She would say, "Stop the car," and she would dash out and get a child. What did she say she was doing when she did this? Getting Victoria's Secret models. Pretty damning evidence against this woman. Is it enough to say that she's a criminal and she should be convicted of of a crime? We'll see. When we come back, we're going to wrap up with some thoughts about where we're headed in 2022. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.